0: yo what's good everyone it's anushan and you're listening to brown
1: men won't jump hey everyone welcome to the brown men won't jump podcast it's not that we can't jump it's that we won't (laughs) nope not at all (laughs) this is all coming at you um and with me are ac
2: what's up guys
1: anushan yo what is happening Runga. Yo. And Aswi. Howdy how. So, we're talking today about the MBA and social justice. And to get us started off, I'm going to pass it to AC.
2: So guys, in honor of the great Martin Luther King and everything that he stood for, we thought it would be worth it to have a episode on the MBA and social justice. You know, nowadays, MBA is, is almost synonymous with the ongoing struggle for social justice and equality for all. But it has a long history of intermingling with the league. You know, Back in 1950s, only when the NBA was even integrated, before that it was an all-white league, the NBA wasn't really known as a place necessarily where social justice was taking place, or at least the struggle for it was happening. Um, that really changed sometime around when Bill Russell, the great Bill Russell of 11 championships, that Bill Russell, guy like who was more rings than fingers, Bill Russell came into the NBA. So also, you want to tell us a little bit about Bill?
3: Well, so this is something that I, I found remarkable is when, when Bill Russell joined the league, there were only about like 15 black players, but when he left the league about 13 years later, it was majority black. And Bill Russell has a large part to do with that because he, you know, he was the best player of a team who won 11 championships and he was, and the coach first... of one as well. Yeah and and he also in in uh 1966 he became the first black head coach in nba history. And so seeing that elevated a level of success really normalized at least to some extent black leadership and black excellence and as you saw what happened as a result of that was that more black people were coming into the league and and given more chances. Not and not just that he he also You know, he participated in the March on Washington. He participated in the famous Cleveland summit where he, along with Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, defended Ali, who who refused to serve in the military at the time.
2: And Kareem, sort of right after that, after the year after doing that, he actually boycotted the 68 Olympics
3: as a college player. And because what he said was, you know, if he's enjoying his time in the Olympics in Mexico... You know, it's selfish of him because back home, there are tons of racial violence that's racking the country.
2: So that's Russell and Kareem, two of the predominant players, two, of, in my opinion, the five greatest players to ever play basketball, right up in front in, in an era in the 60s where this was not, you know, an easy thing to do, where the civil rights movement was still very much in effect. Segregation was still very much alive.
3: At the time, black athletes were told to look away at discrimination. But Bill Russell and and Kareem and Oscar and all these guys They said, We have a platform and we're going to stand up for it.
2: Talk a little bit about Oscar Robertson because, you know, for those of us now, we know him as the triple double guy, but he was actually a leader in a lot of different aspects.
3: Oscar is the father of uh, NBA free agency, right? Like he was, he boycotted the All Star game in 1968 along with a lot of other players. And the effort behind that was to make sure that the NBA recognized the NBA PA, the Players Association, as the official collective bargaining agent for NBA players. And so that was in the, in the late 60s. But in the 70s, he led a legal battle against the NBA to truly achieve free agency in 1976. He actually sued the league. So when when you look at, you know, LeBron and and AD and, and KD and all these guys going everywhere, you know, Oscar Robertson is the one guy who isn't critical of their moves, but rather he says, you know, it's their right. He views it as, purely as a civil rights thing than just, Oh, a guy's going to play with another guy in another team.
0: Yeah, really. Uh, looks at like freedom as like a whole concept, as as just opposed to like you know what it could be for what civil rights is, but also for what an NBA player should and shouldn't be allowed to do. And I think that's yeah. also pretty incredible, right? I, I, like, I
3: mean, if you think about all of us in our regular jobs, you know, we've we we are in fields where someone has made these arguments for us and we have freedom to go from job to job. But that wasn't necessarily the case for for athletes back in the day, certainly not black athletes back in the day. And Oscar really, he revolutionized the league because of that.
2: But honestly, somewhere along the road, that changed a little bit of the NBA, right? I mean, the NBA went from a league where the players were actively taking social and political stances, even ones that were unpopular, to one where they almost didn't. I think you've got to understand what happened in the NBA in the in the '70s. The NBA became really addled with with drugs. It became a place where you know the the, the games were being shown on tape delay. It it lost its popularity amongst fan bases, and it kind of got, got rebuilt from the ground up through the emergence of Magic and Bird, and then taken to a whole new level with michael jordan and michael jordan was a brand unto himself right i mean he could sell anything and he was universally beloved and with that kind of came the rise of, of the corporate athlete the the athlete who could sell you a coca-cola and you know with a smile and and it could be a black person and a white household would buy that product just because that guy was selling it that that was an important development but it also came with maybe a little bit less blatant political activism, or even people sometimes not even taking political stances. For instance, famously, Michael Jordan saying that Republicans buy shoes too. Now, is that a fair criticism, Michael? I'm not sure. Um, I think we can we can acknowledge that because of Michael, the NBA went to a level of popularity that it never had before. But there's no question that the NBA itself, in part because that's what Michael was doing, took, I don't want to say they, they weren't involved in social issues, but they certainly took a little bit of a backseat publicly in the public eye and as a result most likely it played a part in the absolute gigantic growth of the game's popularity in this country to a point that you know it was even rivaling football in some stretches at its absolute peak in the 90s
3: for me personally we we often forget some of the more subtle things so the nba went from being outwardly supportive of racial justice and they kind of went a little behind closed doors with it for example in the 80s they boycotted the state of Arizona cuz the state of Arizona was pushing a lot of these segregationist ideas whereas NBA just fought back against that right so so you see that early in the in the 80s that happened now in the case of like Craig Hodges that you know that's the opposite side where an nba player three time uh, three point champion two time nba champion he gives a letter to hw bush president hw bush about racial injustice in, in the league and he was blacklisted from the league ever since his career and was that, done for after
2: and you know to, to get back to jordan for a second i think what's a little bit lost with with, with the discussion of jordan maybe not taking political stances he also became, probably maybe because he didn't take those stands, the most famous person in America and maybe even the world. And that was important, too, for a black man to to have that role and be so universally beloved. It kind of set the stage for other players, not just from a brand perspective, but just to make the kind of money and have that kind of fame and then to later on to seek out about these things once again, like they did in the 60s.
4: Yeah, as I have a couple of things to say here. I, I mean, first, when you think about the, the 60s era and the, the guys you, you spoke about, Kareem, Oscar Russell, right? And you think about the statement of shut up and dribble." It, it's such a racist, offensive thing to say. Like, especially when you think about the history of the NBA, because black people first got their platform through dribbling, right? So the idea of shut up and dribble," like, I think an appropriate response to that is "fuck you." Like, I I really hate that statement, and I think when you when you look at the '60s, it, it, you know, it brings a good perspective there. Now, with, with regards to Michael Jordan, I, I think he's getting a little bit of like the cancel culture sort of I agree criticism with here. He became a titan, a, a business titan, and now and he opened up the door for for a lot of black people to make a shit ton of money, including LeBron, who's who's you know going to be a billionaire and likely another owner in the in the league, and re- really everyone after Jordan, right? Like he made it possible to make a massive amount of money in the NBA. Um, And that that did give people a bigger, a broader voice and, and a bigger platform. So I, I think he gets he faces too much criticism for that.
3: And it's interesting. You mentioned the whole thing about Shut Up and Dribble. In 95, David Stern once said, fuck the people who say that Michael was just being greedy, because at the time, Michael was having a lot of anti-owner activism. And so that has that's been a, that's the, a quote, by the way.
2: That's a that's, not that's just, a quote. Yeah, paraphrasing.
3: David Stern actually said that. Fuck the people who say that Michael Jordan should just shut up and play.
4: Yeah. I mean, David Stern, another great rest in peace. We lost him this year as well. Um also, I actually didn't know that he said that, but that's, yeah. that's amazing.
3: Yeah. And 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 that's the thing, right? Like, you know, you can make criticisms of David Stern with kind of like how Michael in subtle ways has really pushed forward the agenda for, for black America. David Stern has in his own right, because he basically promoted this platform and enabled so many young African-Americans to come into wealth.
2: I agree and disagree with that. I mean, there's no question that the result of his actions might have been that. But, you know, I think let's, you mentioned the dress code. I think we have to talk about that. The dress code was really a reaction to Alan Iverson and almost in a, in a way to sort of decrease the his fr- frankly his blackness, you know, like or his, or his perceived blackness amongst the you know a predominantly white fan base, right? To they would do things like cancel out his tattoos and pictures, and they would you know force him to wear things that, that the NBA found appropriate. Uh, so I'm I'm not entirely sure I believe that he was actively trying to make black people millionaires as much as he was trying to do was, you know the best for his own business. But I think as a result of some of his decisions, it ended up being that way.
3: In the defense of David Stern, Brian Gumbel, I think in around 2011 or 2013, somewhere like that, referred to David Stern, how he's run the league in certain circumstances as a modern day slave owner, right? I forgot exactly when Brian Gumbel said it, but when David Stern heard that, he was completely distraught because he told close friends at the time was, everything he's done in his life has been trying to, because he grew up in, in a very liberal upbringing in Jersey, right? So for him, like all his efforts were for the promotion of that. So I, I don't agree that it, it's, it's from a business perspective. I really genuinely feel like a lot of his efforts have been to help promote the the black community. Now with the dress code, I understand, you know, how that is perceived in some ways, but because of the dress code, you see now, these NBA players are now some of the biggest fashion icons in the world. They took these restraints and they made it their own, right? So, not that I'm saying that okay, I agree with the I dress mean, code. I mean, that's
2: more credit to the to the player yeah, than it to is to the man players. who in- right. instituted right. And, and the and dress what, code.
4: It's like uh, President Obama says this: like you have good people who do bad things, and you have bad people that do good things, right? Like people aren't black and white. So, I think David Stern did make a mistake in trying to censor how. Certain black individuals like Iverson express themselves. And by the way, he made a business error as well, right? Because um, for sure.
2: Uh look at the embrace of that culture now. I mean Exactly. Exactly.
3: For sure. For sure. Maybe didn't
2: understand the way the popularity of hip hop would explode, the popularity of a lot of the things that he was so afraid of. Right. And one of the reasons the NBA is so popular today amongst people who are, you know, below the age of forty. Right, yeah. but but I, but I think on the flip side of that, right? Like he
4: may have been trying to reduce the effect of prejudice and racism on sure. NBA no, ratings, no right? But like I
2: think there was some some of that. Yeah,
4: I, I agree. You know, because like w- the fact of the matter is, America has a shit ton of racism, and this was a league with a lot of black people tatted up. You know, and and you know, I remember Stern was like trying to make it seem like we don't have thugs in the NBA, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think
0: that's a very important point to hit home on. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. But I want to add to that too.
4: I mean, and I think like the problem with like there's a certain amount of racism that you have to combat there, right? Because you just have people looking at black players with tattoos as thugs, which is not the right way to look at them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But to his credit, I I think he was overall a a pretty damn good uh, commissioner. And the other thing here is like Adam Silver is his protege, right? Um, so I think he, I think he made a lot of mistakes, but uh, all, all in all, um, you know, the, the, I think the main point here is that the NBA has been a great place for for players to to uh, rack up wins in terms of social justice,
2: and that's even before we get to the 2010s. But before we get there, Anushan, you wanted to weigh in? Yeah, um,
0: back to the point Ranga made about like the NBA wanting to hide this like idea that their players are or their players could be perceived as thugs. Like it makes me think a lot about how the NBA has sort of shifted its mindset when it comes to the eras that they play in and how certain players have like really done a lot for the NBA as a whole. Like when I look back at the whole Malice in the palace situation that happened, right? Like the NBA did its utmost. And a lot of people look down on the NBA during that, those time spans as well. And it really makes you think that a lot of the players, mostly being bashed on because people could easily misconstrue and say, oh, this is just what you know a, a league with predominantly black players is, is about. They're just not respectful. They do a bunch of crazy shit like getting into fights and having all these problems. And I feel like the NBA tried to hide a lot of who their players really were without allowing them to express themselves. But until we have players like AI who really push forward those boundaries and you had other like really in, like cool characters too like in the 90s you had 80s and 90s you had rodman um even like ron artest now known as metal world peace was a a big character and he was a huge proponent in that mouse in the palace fight as you guys remember but i don't know like you just see a lot of this trying to be hidden by the nba but you have these giant personalities that have done so much for the culture of the nba and what we see now and i i well, feel like these I players should be a lot
2: for the culture of the world. I mean, they really, right. like some of these figures are iconic that we're talking about from, you know, Magic or even like a guy like Rodman. I mean, he's literally got a presence on the world stage for better or worse. Yeah, I um, mean, probably yeah, for worse. He's but, like best friends with King Jong-un, like this. Yeah. yeah. Um, the insanity, I, right? Just, just to touch on what to weigh in a little quickly on, on, the, on the idea of people having fights being perceived as thugs. I mean, to me, the NBA was always in a losing situation here because you look at NHL there's like a fight, a literal fight, sometimes before the puck is even dropped. Right in mm-hmm. baseball, there's these massive brawls. Right in the NBA, there's almost like no fighting, and yet, like it's perceived or was perceived certainly for a long time, and maybe is still in some circles as a "quote unquote" thug league. And that it's really that's really hurtful for the you know, for, for the players and for the league. And I think David Stern was trying his best to combat that. I don't, I just don't agree with the method he used to do it. And I think whatever positive came out of that was more due to the players embracing fashion and sort of becoming these fashion icons us we was talking about but uh let's move on for a second here guys and talk about the 2010s because that's really where we saw an explosion again of the social justice movement amongst nba players in particular and we can't do that without talking about the most predominant player of 2010s easily the best player of the decade and one of the most outspoken and that's lebron
3: james so also you want to quickly touch on some of some of the things that lebron james has done so lebron james to me truly lives and breeds this idea of more than an athlete lebron and social justice have been entwined with each other since really i want to say for the past decade maybe longer what i remember most is when he came out in the 2014 calves they all came up with i can't breathe shirts after eric gardner was murdered and uh, yeah. uh do, do, you recall you can go um, before that remember the Trayvon Martin situation in, yeah. in
2: Florida while he was a member of the Heat that was a, one of the first public statements I remember like that from athletes I, I think it was Dwayne Wade's idea but the, the Miami doing that was very powerful
3: and that shows you like the impact of LeBron James right because you know just a decade ago you know if somebody made some type of protest like that they would have been reprimanded by the league or in some way but LeBron James he 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 doesn't care about that He is someone who knows what's right and what's wrong, and he will stake his reputation at it. He he even, you know, at risk of ostracizing parts of his fan base who might not agree with causes like Black Lives Matter. In 2016, he famously went on the stage of the ESPYs with Mello, CP3, and Wade to talk about injustice against the Black community. And I think that's really powerful for someone of his stature to talk about these subjects that are very uncomfortable for a lot of people. It it just shows how he truly is more than an athlete. And and it's not limited to just that. I mean, he has his I Promise School where, you know, he took a bunch of at-risk children and provided them with quality education with, I think it's like a graduation percent of like 90-something or 80-something. I, I, something ridiculous. And their
2: test scores are like outstanding. I mean, it's actually a... Yeah. Uh... A remarkable success story about what, like it, what's possible with education if, if someone puts the time and effort into into really believing in a bunch of kids, and and not just that, don't forget that he's also paying for uh, those kids to go to college, and also for the parents of those kids to get GEDs if they don't have them. Talk about making you know like real generational
3: change. That's how you do it. And in addition to that. He's been very active advocating for NCAA athletes' rights for their lichen images to be used for their own benefit rather than just the NCAA's benefit. What's
2: interesting to me about that, the NCAA thing, and and also the education stuff is this is a guy who did not go to college, right? And he still sees the value, one, of education, getting kids to go to college, and two, of making sure that people who are in college are not being exploited in any way, shape, or form,
3: even though this guy himself wasn't in that position. Yeah. And to the extent where, you know, he even had California Governor Gavin Newsom on his show The Shop and sign the bill on air so that, you know, that could be made into law. And and that just shows you everything that LeBron James stands for, right? He he came from nothing and but he didn't turn his back on the community. He he took the responsibility on himself to give back and he really has exceeded that.
2: I mean, if if you listen to Kareem's really beautiful last year, uh, LeBron won Sportsman of the Year, which I think was well-deserved. He's won it multiple times, but on top of that, he got the Muhammad Ali Memorial Award. uh, And and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, this beautiful piece that he wrote about him and just about how LeBron's fearlessness is really really incredible in a time when he has so much to lose.
3: And and I, I think nobody has more authority to To comment on LeBron James as an athlete, but even more importantly, as an activist than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? So, right. I mean, and that just goes to show you the real impact that LeBron James has had on the country.
2: For sure. But I do want to talk about one other thing that you have yet to mention, which I'm sure you're going to get to, which is which is player empowerment. And you mentioned before the lawsuit Oscar Robertson filed against the league so- to get this right, and. LeBron's player really a started the player power movement, which some fans and certainly many owners are not fans of. But to speak a little bit about that.
3: Okay, so you know everyone knows about the decision in 2010 when you know he had that show and he announced that he was going to Miami, taking my talents to South Beach. And at the time, it was it was heavily criticized. People thought it was some terrible ego trip and stuff like that. But let's remind the audience that that actually raised millions of dollars for Boys and Girls Club of America. But it was the first example of LeBron really being all about player empowerment, right? Using your platform the way you feel is right and using that to to leverage power. And it basically builds on everything that Oscar Robertson did back in the 70s, but, but adds to it. I mean, think about it. If, Runga, you want to change your job to some other company, you can just up and go and do that. Right. If you want what's best for you, if you believe that you deserve a higher pay or better opportunities, it's perfectly fine for you to do that. Right. It's most people our age in our generation have that that mobility. And really, until LeBron broke, you know, really broke that that mold that was in the in, in the NBA, you know, look, after the decision, how many players have gone to different teams? And I get that the team aspect, and maybe this adds to why Nissel, you know, you're not a fan of the laundry. You're more a fan of the players and the culture. But but if you look at it, now you have players' rights being at the forefront of everything. And, yeah, and, and I think it's that can't be stated enough. For,
4: right, I agree. Asking and I think it's important for fans to separate their view or judgment of player empowerment and their view and judgment of uh, team parity across the NBA because it's possible to be for both, right? Like, so for example, I like the fact that players are empowered because let's be honest, like there wouldn't be a league without them. Right. And they're, they're at this point, they're more important than the billionaire owners in my opinion.
3: Um, and then right time,
4: like it's, you can also want parity in the league and you, you can be anti super team, which, which I am as well. But the thing I want to say about LeBron here is so Steven Jackson, who, you know, former Spurs guy who I loved on my team and, of course um, had international fame in, in being one of the leaders of the protests following the death of his good friend, George Floyd. What he says about LeBron is that LeBron is the most down to earth face of the league that we've ever had. And that's because he came from the gutter. Like LeBron grew up dirt fucking poor in Akron. Homeless at uh, sometimes too, right? Exactly. And he is yeah. undeniably the greatest player of this era. And, and so you know we talked about Michael before and and it was great to see Michael and in some ways, you know, I'm sure there are fans out there that that preferred that he didn't speak up about issues, but now you know now our our face of the league is LeBron James, and I for one, love that he is so vocal um and that he's on the right side of most issues, as you mentioned, you know, just racism in general, player empowerment, voting rights uh police brutality uh and it and it's great to see because. Uh, you know, again, now we have a, the greatest player in the world is, is vocal, and it's the first time it, it's, it's
2: happened uh, in, in a generation. So there's a tremendous amount of power that's conferred when the top of that particular sport speaks out like this. I remember a few years ago, some NFL players were on, I think it was one of Bill Simmons' podcasts, and they're talking about why they can't say the things they want to say. And what they all said was, well, look at the NBA. LeBron James is speaking out. So everyone in the NBA can speak out. Our guys, our top guys aren't speaking out. And that's changed a little bit in recent years. In the NFL, you see Aaron Rodgers saying more things. And uh, I think Colin Kaepernick changed a lot of things for a good way. But it's so important that the face of a league is unafraid like that. It does allow everything else to happen behind it. I mean, would the Jalen Browns or the other people who have been very active recently feel like they could do that if LeBron wasn't out there doing that? all the brunt of the criticism i,
4: I totally agree board. and by the way like the league should be happy like lebron is not he's not as radical as he could be right he still does protect business interests in the league like he sets the tone for example after the 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 kaepernick thing lebron decided to not kneel um yeah. and you know that in some ways that helped ratings right so uh, and so lebron gets a lot of shit from from folks who are who wanted him to shut up and dribble. But but I would argue that he he toes the line uh, pretty well.
1: And I'll say, I think, to not maybe the other side of the coin, right? But if we look at the Collins Kaepernick situation in the NFL, I think one of the reasons why that was – you know why Colin didn't get the same reception that LeBron has gotten is because of the old school mentality and and the really the yeah, honestly the, the the shitty mentality that a lot of these NFL owners have and I think I think in the in the NBA with LeBron you know the NBA has had LeBron lead these initiatives um, but also I think you know the NBA owners have this you know, tacit at least level of support and understand some of the work that LeBron is doing. So while they might not agree with everything, or maybe they have differing perspectives, I think there is some kind of, I think with social justice, some kind of harmony that the NBA has between the players and the ownership that's honestly very unique compared to other leagues.
4: Part of this has to do with viewership, right? Because you probably have a lot of folks in middle America that watch more NFL than, than NBA. Right. And then you have Roger Goodell, who's basically catering to the owners, whereas Adam Silver, you you know, I I would say he's willing to sort of be be the face of of social justice to some degree. Right. Which Goodell is just not at all. Right. But yeah, to to your point, Nisal, I mean, the NFL is so different from the NBA um, and I think they've made a ton of mistakes.
3: You know one one NFL owner even said that if we let the players protest and stuff like that that's like letting the inmates run the asylum. So you have those a- attitudes. I, I I get what you're saying on that point point, all, but I think it's it's really mostly led by the NBA. You know, obviously uh, you know like the the Heat owner, the Cavs owner, they were fine with with LeBron doing these protest things, but in general, the NBA is a lot more accepting of that than the NFL is. And part of that is the relationship between the players and the owners and also the league and the players, the league and the owners. I feel like Adam Silver has more leverage over the NBA owners than Goodell does over the NFL owners. But I mean, you don't even need to look far. Look at the negotiations with the collective bargaining agreements between the different leagues. NBA's ones typically work out for more parties than just the owners like the NFL does. And that that goes along with why, you know, NBA is, a lot better with social justice because they're all kind of on the same page about things.
2: Well, in this decade, we did have a situation where there was an ownership group that was very much not on the same page as the players. And that was the Donald Sterling situation with the Clippers. So Donald Sterling was found out to have done, well, he had for a long time had a history of all kinds of shady deals, which really negatively impacted uh, Black Americans and just generally inner city populations. He was kind of a real estate magnate, but I would, you could call him a slumlord, honestly, for the way he was treating people. And a lot of this came to bear in the mid-2000s when Doc Rivers was still there, and, and there was a bit of a revolt. Uh, anyone want to weigh in on that, what they think about that
3: situation? Fuck Donald Sterling. I think that was one time that the NBA did something that I don't think any other major uh, mm-hmm. North American sports league would do, which is just totally force the sale. I uh, that that. You know, I have my gripes about Adam Silver, but that is something that will make me always have respect for the man because he basically just got the job of commissioner, and what one of his first things he had to do was uh, was handle with this situation. Um and I remember that-
2: Mark Cuban at the time actually voted against this because he was like, "Well, we just can't have you know NBA like we bought into this, we can't have an NBA just removing us from ownership." But the NBA decided they don't care, and they. So did
3: I understand from a precedent set why he sense why he said that. I don't think it has any. I I just want to make clear. I don't think it is a reflection on how he feels about you know social justice issues. I don't think uh, Mark. No, no, no that's is. not what I was saying right. at all. Yeah, yeah I, I just want to make I, that my that, that my clear.
2: my point is that it's not an easy thing to do to dispossess sure. somebody sure. who bought into a franchise because sure. I mean then in the future people will potentially be less more
3: hesitant to do that. Um, I, I mean, frankly, you know, if I'm being honest with you, I, I wish he would do some, he would step in uh, with the Knicks and somehow get rid of it. I, I wish that too, but, he,
2: but that's exactly why he's not going to do that, right? Because exactly. I mean, this is yeah. a really good reason they shouldn't do it. But the
3: fact they did it all in this last decade is kind of remarkable. And I, and I think I think he proved that he does believe that black lives do matter because doing this was a, a clear statement, not just to the owners, to the players, it's a statement to the world. The NBA does not stand for this kind of bullshit.
4: I was just going to make the point. I think it's very much related to player empowerment as well. Like these players knew that this guy was like overtly racist and had been so for decades. And there was like a history of it with regards to, uh, as you said, him being a slumlord and who he would accept into, you know, his, his uh, apartments and who he would deny, et cetera. But at the end of the day, like the players did not want to play for this man, and then they finally had, you know, some some evidence of the guy's blatant racism that they were able to use against him, and so I agree with you. Like credit to the NBA, you, you really don't hear about people, you know, owners getting kicked out, and you know, at the end of the day, this dude made I think it was like two point four billion dollars in his sale, right? So he made out like a king as well.
0: It is what it is. Yeah, honestly, yeah. as Runga huh. put it, "Fuck Donald Sterling, he's a piece <laughs> of shit."
2: So. In addition to some of the issues with race uh, that the NBA has been on the forefront of, they've also taken a real leadership position on LGBTQ issues. Uh, you know, we, we could talk about how Jason Collins coming out maybe was one of the big turning points in that. In, in the like 2010s, I want to say. I remember Tim Hardaway made all these comments about it, and that was I mean the 2007 All Star Game, and was actually banned from the All Star Game because of those comments and that he made. So that those was lines... one of the first times where you know Tim Hardaway has a decent career to be an NBA Hall of Famer. And it wasn't common to just come sort of hard on something like that, which, you know, but that was a huge statement at the time.
3: I mean, let's, let's project it forward. They even, the NBA changed the location of the all-star game like a year or two ago from Charlotte because the North Carolina government came up with this, this nonsense rule that's totally discriminatory against members of the LGBTQ community. And the NBA said, well, because of this, we're, we don't want to deal business with, with your state. So they moved the All-Star game. On the same note of, of LGBTQ issues, NBA with Adam Silver became the first major sports league to have a float at the Pride Parade. And Silver and all the major NBA executives participate on that. And you can, there's even videos of Adam Silver dancing alongside Jason Collins on a float during Pride Parade.
0: Yep. You cannot be talking so, about uh the LGBTQ and the NBA without Jason Collins, right? Yeah. For sure.
3: And, th- and he was the first openly active player, but there has been, I think, one or two players who said... John Amici um, was after,
2: another one, comes to mind. Yeah, after British the fact. Who, who, but he who was after that? the fact. So that leads us to, over the last year, we had a huge surge in activism following the death, of, untimely death of uh George Floyd and everything that happened there, um, leading to messaging on jerseys and on the court. So I know, Anishan, you want to talk about some of of the younger people in the NBA are doing. So
0: another player that's been really um, prominent, and as we mentioned before earlier in the podcast, was Jalen Brown, who's actually the leader on the NBA social justice plan, who helped to peacefully protest the death of George Floyd, who was a huge proponent of it back in May. And he still continues to speak out against racial injustices. Um, other players who are like notable that have also been marching are Russell Westbrook and Damian Lillard, who let's be honest, these guys are like huge stars in the NBA and for them to be actively going out of their way to march with the common folk is like something that should be really like looked at and marveled at almost because at the end of the day, like while these guys are iconic superstars for their respective teams, like they're everyday regular American citizens. And they're marching with their fellow American citizens it's a huge um a huge deal actually another well. yeah
2: I want to give a sh- quick shout out to Carl Towns, whose mom actually passed away unfortunately from uh covid and yet even after that happened, still got out there in the middle of the pandemic with a you know mask on and, and was very much part of these protests, so that was really cool
3: yeah, yeah out in sure. Minneapolis right yep, yeah, yeah for sure um
0: yeah, and other players again uh, Uh, Dennis Smith Jr., um, Tobias Harris, they protested in uh, North Carolina and Philadelphia, respectively. Uh, And they're also big voices in the NBA community. I know that Tobias Harris especially is a huge proponent on talking about Breonna Taylor and also Donovan Mitchell. And I don't know if you guys remember, but uh, Jamal Murray actually had custom uh, sneakers with both George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's faces on them. And it was one of the games that he scored 50 against the – or 50-plus, I should say, yep, against yep. the Jazz. And, like, I don't know. It's just like even in the post-game interview when he was talking about it, like the only thing really on his mind was, you know, demanding justice for Brianna Taylor, demanding justice for George Floyd. And it just shows how prevalent these things are within NBA players' minds. And mind you, again, like, as you guys know, Jamal Murray isn't even an American citizen. He's Canadian. So these things affect everyone on a global scale, right? So it's not just what's happening in America. Even here in Canada, like I see people protesting like a lot in Toronto back, especially back in the summertime, people were protesting all over the place because it's, you know, it's a human right violation, right? It's just indecency.
4: Um, yeah, and I think we have to be really proud of these young players. And Anishan, you touched on the post-game interviews to me, I, and I think to a lot of Americans, those interviews were very cathartic because these guys were voicing what we were feeling. Um, and after putting up, you know, big, big time performances, we're talking about how that really didn't mean shit to them and, and how they were torn up inside because of the injustices that they were seeing in, in the country. Um, so I, I absolutely, that that was, you know, I, I was very proud of those young guys.
2: And Nisal, uh during that the middle of the bubble there was actually a boycott that occurred. I know it's something that you're interested in. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so I think the boycott was a really interesting example, right, where you had a lot of forces in play and there were a lot of different feelings, right? So in, in, in it, to give a little background, that boycott was something that was orchestrated by a couple of teams who were making a decision to say, hey, th- we don't feel like society as a whole – is paying enough attention to these really serious issues that are so integral to us. Right. So we, 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 we've been, we've been preaching this. We've been, we've been really, we've been activists for this for years now and, and, the the situation isn't only getting better, but it's staying the same or even worse. So there was a lot of pent up frustration from players to say, we don't know what to do anymore. Right. So there was, there was a huge outcry and, and, and and a lot of people were really considering just boycotting the league. um, And, and from, from the player perspective to just not attend uh, games for the rest of the season. And and this was a very, this is a very, I know when, when this was happening, all of us, Collectively, had this huge talk about it as fans. We were like scared because we we wanted we we wanted to consume the league still, um, but right. we also knew that this is. Was- this is some real frustration from these players, and they, they it, it was frustration because they weren't sure what to do anymore. Right when you ex, when you exhaust all of your options uh, from so, from someone who has this agency uh, and nothing changes, what do you do? Right, and that's how that and that's how that boycott idea came about. Um, I, I think you know the rumors, at least, or what was reported was that you know a lot of these leaders, like LeBron, had a, had a conversation with uh, former President Barack Obama, and he you know he gave some advice to that. Group and ultimately, I think a lot of the the players made did made the decision not to pursue that. But it was, it, it, it was a really interesting crossroads because it, it was a time when I think the, the social unrest was at its peak, and these players just really had it at that point.
2: Well, the the awesome part is what they sought out of that in part was to have all their owners sort of fund Black Lives Matter movements and also just right. generally to fund more access to voting rights, let their arenas open up. And also you mentioned more than a vote, something that LeBron's initiated, but there's other organizations like that as well. And as a result of partly these boycotts, partly the more than a vote and other things like that, I know Trey Young has been really involved in this. Those arenas were now available to people in inner cities to vote in. And if you look at a city like Atlanta... Where forty thousand people voted in the Atlanta Hawks arena in an election that was decided by what a couple thousand votes. Yeah. yeah, it made a huge difference. So good on the NBA players for for being behind this. I'm really proud of them.
3: I I think for the first time it really felt for for some of these communities that not only did people give a shit about them, they gave them a fair chance and exactly and that's that and that's the that's the the beautiful thing about what these nba players as as a whole do right it, it's not just anybody could just throw money at something right but it it's the follow up they they don't just give money they they follow up with with the people that they're trying to help it it, it just shows you that we're we're seeing these NBA players going even further, and, and that's something that sets a precedent for, for athletes of, of all leagues and, and types. You know, you'll see more tennis players, NASCAR guys, MLB people. like all, all these guys are getting influenced by what the NBA players are doing with their platform, and I think there's well, so much value to that. What the
2: NBA is doing is so impressive. In fact, the Pope very recently invited NBA players to the Vatican. I mean, how cool is that to discuss social justice and things they can do differently, and what are sort of their viewpoints on things? I mean, talk about getting support from the
4: highest of places, yeah, absolutely yeah. I mean, what you saw here is that the
2: entire world was going through
4: a pandemic where people were stuck in home stuck in their homes right, and then you have this event where this 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 cop you know has his knee to this guy's neck for eight minutes and forty two seconds. And the league could have responded in a lot of ways. And to their credit, they they gave their players a voice and their players had a lot of great things to say. And that's had an avalanche effect, right? Like, it's always tough to be the first one to speak up. And, and, and you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, continued social justice work, not just by the NBA, but by other leagues. And hopefully what will happen here is that, you know, like we talked about it, like with guys like LeBron, LeBron made made it cool for young players to talk about this shit. He he really did, right? Like a lot of these young players, Jamal Murray, et cetera, like they came they grew up watching LeBron James. He made it okay for them to to have a voice. And now I think this young generation is going to give a voice to a lot of folks across sports across across con- countries. Um and it's just a strange thing where, you know, athletes who who are not people who are often media trained, they are leading the way. And the last thing I'll say about this is this points to an issue with leadership in our political system, right? Because why is it that young athletes need to lead the way? And why is it that it's so important for them to have a voice, right? And and so I'll just close my piece here with, with that question.
3: Yeah, honestly, that, that that's a great point you make there, Ranga. It, it says a lot about our society as a whole right now. Uh, and it also shows us that we all have a role to play In making our country better for not just ourselves, but for everyone around us. I I think that's a good place to end this part of, of our social justice conversation. But there's definitely a lot more that we can delve into about the NBA and social justice. And, you know, of course, there is famously the controversy surrounding NBA and China at the end of 2019. But that'll have to wait for another episode. So thank you guys for joining us today. If you liked this podcast, please like, subscribe, share it with your friends. We would love to have you join us in our next podcast episode. Take it easy, guys.